What a great song to f- sing after the Lord's Supper. What a great song. Friends, would you open Scripture to Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 16 through 24. Um, if you are using a Bible provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 925. encourage you to find uh, your place in the Scripture and follow, follow along the reading of God's Word. As you are turning your way there, one, uh, one important prayer request that I wanted to remind you of Next week, as we're going to have the, the Noah's Ark Christmas program, uh, please make it a point to be here and be a part of this celebration. It is one time a year when we can have the parents of Noah's Ark community with us, and a good percentage of them, this might be the only time of the year when they would step into a church. Pray that the Lord might use this time also, the service, everything that will be done in the service, um, so that the gospel of Christ through the message of Christmas might be known and clear and that God might use that. So I encourage you to pray for that as well next, for next week. Hopefully by now you found your uh, place in the Scripture in Acts 16. Here is the word of the Lord as I will read from verse 16 to 24. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I commend you, or commend you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow with me and ask the Lord in prayer to give us his spirit for the understanding of his word? Gracious God, how grateful we are for what you have done for us already in Christ. For what you have done for us in reminding us of partaking of the Lord's Supper, And Lord, now we are grateful for giving us your word. But we ask, would you give us your spirit again in fresh ways, in abundant ways. May your spirit use the reading and proclamation of your word to speak to our hearts, to apply this truth to our inner beings, to our minds, to our understanding, to our consciences, so that we might respond to you in a way that pleases you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. But Paul continues his stay in Philippi. Verse 16 tells us that he 
uh, goes um, to a place of prayer. And if you've been with us two weeks ago when we were in chapter 16, verse 1 through 15, we saw that that's what, where Paul was that time as well. He's going again to a place of prayer. Paul loved to go to places where people were seeking God and there began to proclaim Christ. Well, last time Paul was at such a place of prayer, uh, he preached Christ and Lydia came to know the Lord because God had opened the heart of Lydia. Perhaps Paul was hoping to do more preaching on this time, at this time, that some others might come to know the Lord. But this time, it's what happens on the way to the place of prayer. It's a fact that a slave girl was uh, noticed Paul and engaged them. And Paul is engaged by this slave girl. And, and if we compare the two accounts from two weeks ago and, and today, we, such, we see such a contrast. People at two different ends of the spectrum. Uh, last time we saw Lydia, a, a very wealthy woman. This time we see a slave girl. Her story is very different from Lydia. Not just because of her social status, but also because of what was going on inside of her. She was a slave twice. Not just to her own masters, but she was enslaved by a spirit of fortune-telling. The surprise was, was that this girl began following Paul and his missionary team. And, people, uh, and she was telling people uh, about who Paul and his team were and what they were doing. Look at verse 17 to see what this girl began doing. Look, look carefully. These men, she started shouting, crying out loud. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Wow. In all appearances, this was a good summary of who Paul was uh, and uh, what they, him and his team were doing. They were servants of the Most High God and proclaimed the way of salvation. And she was doing this for many days. Now, who wouldn't want to have such a publicity, such a help in spreading the gospel out in community, getting the word out? Wouldn't you be glad having some extra help getting the word out? By the way, Christmas open houses, right? Get some extra advertising, some free advertising. Interesting that when we look at Paul's reaction, he actually became greatly troubled by what she was doing. Look at verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. Now, why the great annoyance? Why the great annoyance? Did Paul suffer of a bad temper? So he just lost it and just commanded the spirit to get out of her. Got, get out of her. Is, that, is this what's happening here? Did Paul suffer of bad temper? Not at all. I can assure you of that. Not at all. Did Paul lack discernment in uh, confronting the slave girl? Why not avoid her? 
You know, why, why not sensitively tell her not to follow them? Or even better, why not try to introduce her to Jesus and, um, and teach her the gospel? Perhaps Paul tried that. I mean, she was following them along, and she must have heard what Paul was, was teaching. And yet, it didn't stop. She continued to follow Paul and Silas and their team. After, after some time, Paul is annoyed and turns to her and casts out the spirit. Now, had Paul dealt with this situation a little more sensitively? He could have avoided being put in prison, beaten up. Well, there's more to this story than just getting into prison. There's more to this story than just giving us the reasons why Paul will end up being in the jail in Philippi. There's some profound lessons in this story about spreading the gospel and having discernment in spreading the gospel. There are some lessons that teach us about discernment in sharing this gospel. Now, the discernment is not in how to avoid getting in trouble. Because if that's what we mean by discernment, this story would be about what not to do. The discernment this story teaches us or, or illustrates for us is a discernment of understanding spiritual realities as we share the gospel. And not let ourselves be uh, impressed by what surprises the eye. As we spread the gospel, we must have discernment about several key spiritual realities. And here's the first one. I will mention three spiritual realities um, that we must have discernment about. Here's the first one. The first one is a danger. The danger of having correct language but different meanings. The danger of having correct language but different meanings. When I first read this account uh, in preparation for the sermon, I was surprised by the appearance of correct language that this girl was uttering in describing Paul. Again, verse 17, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. But here's a puzzling problem. This lady, this girl was, was possessed by, by the Spirit, and the powers of the kingdom of darkness would never encourage people to pay attention to the, to the truthfulness of the message of salvation that Paul proclaimed. Now, it's true that a demon-possessed man once confronted Jesus, but he came and said, what do you have to do with us? They never encouraged people to pay attention to what Jesus was saying. But here, this, woman, this lady is actually talking to people what Paul, well, what Paul was and what he was doing. Be sure that the spirit speaking through the girl was not assisting uh, in the spread of the gospel. But she was actually trying to confuse it by using correct language but with different meanings. The language the girl was using was not that uncommon in the ancient world. The phrase, the Most High God, was actually not very uncommon. It was quite common. In a Roman society such as Philippi, uh, this description was used often to 
relate or to describe the highest hierarchy of gods in a polytheistic culture. In a culture where there were many gods, people were used to hearing who's the higher god. So this was not very uncommon. Also, the phrase, the way of salvation, was quite common as well, especially in a Roman society. The ancient world knew many ways of salvation. There was nothing unique about that. As a matter of fact, the, the way the, the Greek phrase is constructed here, it could just as well be translated, not the way of salvation, but a way of salvation. And in a city like Philippi, that message heard by the citizens of Philippi could mean anything. Really, it could mean anything. What this means that, then is that even if to our ears, she seems to be, in all appearances, she seems to be using correct language, she actually had a different meaning. She was not pointing to the salvation prepared by the God of Israel through his son Jesus. She was simply using religious language with pagan meanings. Oh, how much this danger is still with us today. How much? How often this danger is around us. Even in situations where there's no demon possession, the possibility of using correct language, but with different definitions, is still with us today. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, sometimes people from different religious backgrounds altogether, different than Christianity, would have similar words like God, redemption, freedom, peace, power, faith. They, they might have the same words, but they mean something totally different by them. I love what uh, Peterson in his commentary says, salvation in Luke's understanding involved the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit through trusting in Israel's Messiah with the ultimate blessing of sharing in God's eternal kingdom through the resurrection. This is the salvation. This is the God. This is the restoration, the rescue, the redemption that, that Paul wants to preach. And yet, people today can use Christian religious language to mean different things. But this danger, friends, is, is not just for people who come from different faith backgrounds. The danger of using correct Christian language is with us even in Christian circles. And yet correct language with different definitions, even false definitions. Let me give you some examples. Um, for instance, words like the resurrection of Jesus. Did you know that this phrase has been redefined? in Christian or so-called Christian circles. It's no longer meant to, me, uh, to, to, to describe the physical resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus in the hearts of his disciples. It's really a resurrection of faith in the hearts of the disciples. Jesus never fully uh, or truly resurrected physically from the grave. It's just that on resurrection morning, the disciples had this amazing experience where Jesus just resurrected in their hearts. And they started proclaiming Jesus as a resurrected Jesus. 
This is one way people have redefined the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Or the meaning of what the Bible is. People no longer, there are people, so-called Christians, who no longer think about the Bible as the Word of God. They talk about it as a witness to the Word of God. There are people who would say that, and they would agree that the Bible is inspired by God, but that fact does not rule out the possibility of human error in the Bible. Or let's even, that's what they would say. That, or here, let's consider even the word gospel. If you are a Christian, hopefully you have heard this word. Hopefully you know what it means. If you don't, um, you're in some trouble. If it, People use this word so often to mean a lot of things. A lot of different things, sometimes to have very shallow meanings. Uh, sometimes it just means cultural transformation, or it means some sort of, of change. Friends, people think when they hear the word gospel that it simply might mean um, God loves you, and that's what the gospel is. Well, friends, that's not what the gospel is. That could be a statement in the gospel, but that's not what the gospel is. Uh, we want to have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. And let me take a moment here. If there's anyone who, who might be wavering or unclear of what this word means, we want to make sure you understand what we mean by it as we proclaim it, as we use it. If you're not a Christian, especially I encourage you to pay attention to how we at Park Hills Baptist Church define this word based on God's word. We understand that the gospel is the message that God, the God who created us and owns us, is holy. He's perfect. He loves perfection. As a matter of fact, he is obsessed rightly with perfection, so much so that he cannot receive any imperfection in his presence. And yet, we human beings, whom he created at first perfect, without a flaw, we have turned our back against him. And because of that, because of the fault and the rebellion of Adam and Eve, now our, the whole human race is flawed to the core in our nature. And because of that, we are inclined constantly to rebel against God. And because of that, God rightly and justly loves to bring justice and keep his perfection unthreatened and perpetuate it. Because of that, God will judge every imperfection. God will bring to justice every act of rebellion. And the bad news is that that involves me and you and every creation, every part of creation that has rebelled against God will be brought under God's wrath and just condemnation. But God in his love provided a way so that his creation might not be forever doomed to eternal destruction. God provided Jesus, his son, to come and live a perfect life, lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father, and yet lived and yet died on the cross, bearing the punishment that sinners like you and me deserved. And on that cross, he bared the wrath of God against our sin. But three days later, Christ was risen from the dead, physically to prove that he's not just the son of man, but he's also the son of God. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father physically, and he will physically return back to earth to bring justice 
and judgment and salvation to his people. And until that day, he empowered and called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim the news of salvation so that anyone who hears this news and turns away from their sin, repents from their sin and trusts in Christ Jesus, embracing what Christ has done on our behalf as our way of salvation, for them, God might receive them and bring them into his family. Well, friends, this is the news of the gospel. This is the news that we proclaim so that anyone who rejects this news or tampers with it or changes it and does not say the full news of that message might actually be liable to God's judgment. Friends, until the Lord comes, there is a day, an invitation to turn to the Lord. Friends, if you've, if you've never understood this gospel, you've never heard it, clearly embraced it, responded to it, I pray that today might be a day in which you turn to the Lord. Ask the Lord to take your sin away, to rescue you, to save you because of what Jesus has done. If you'd like to know more about that, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. I encourage you also to grab someone next to you and, and ask them questions about this way of salvation. But this is a gospel that we mean, that we proclaim. Friends, the, the gospel, the, the, the book of Acts, chapter 4 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We want to make sure you understand that. This is why it's so important that as we seek to spread the gospel, be aware of the danger that people can use language, even acceptable language, correct language, and yet they mean something totally different. Or they have a very, very superficial or actually inadequate understanding of what they mean. Two ways in which we can practice this discernment as we speak to people, of, of not falling in this danger of using correct language, but, but different meaning. First of all, feel free to ask people as you talk to them a very simple question. What do you mean when you say this? Ask them to flush it out. When they use church words that are acceptable. Ask them, what does that mean to you? How does that manifest in your life? Now, now don't do it with a kind of, you know, teacher attitude to see if, you know, you're going to give a grade afterwards. You know, don't do that. You know, there are very winsome ways. There are very pleasant ways you can simply ask people, so how is that manifesting in your life? What do you mean by that? Tell me more about it. So ask questions. Ask questions. Don't assume that their correct language necessarily means the same thing as the Bible means by that language. The second way of, of helping in, in this discernment is, especially when you are seeking to, to talk to people who, who are new to the faith or are interested to know the things of God, offer the chance to study with them and read together with them through a book of the Bible. I strongly recommend concerning the book of Mark. Reading with them through the book of Mark and, and having multiple opportunities to actually read the word and actually talk about it. Doing evangelism through studying the book of Mark. You can really start understanding and realizing that 
when people use same words as you, they actually have different meanings. And you can see that in the questions they ask, in the answers they give. So I encourage you, be discerning by engaging in actually evangelistic Bible study. But I encourage you, friends, don't assume that just because someone uses correct language, they have the right meaning or the biblical meaning for it. Second, um, second lesson in discerning, um, in, in, in discernment in spreading the gospel is the possibility of having correct language and still be enslaved. The possibility, the first one was the danger of having correct language and a wrong meaning. The second is the possibility of having correct language and still be enslaved. The, the girl was not only using her correct language incorrectly, but she was still enslaved when she used this language. Now, most of the people in her day would consider such a person a benefit in the community. After all, she was making money. People were paying to get her services, but not Paul. Not Paul. Why not? Well, Paul knew the Old Testament, knew God's revelation. Books like Deuteronomy 18, 10, God said clearly, God had forbidden his people explicitly to use magical powers to inquire the future. Um, Deuteronomy, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. And the description of this girl fit right there in that category of what God had forbidden. So for Paul, this was not a hard decision. This was pretty black and white. Now the, the, the translation, she, was, she had a spirit of divination. The Greek word there is a, is a word python. Um, it actually is, comes from the, uh, a great dragon in ancient mythology the snake python. Um, there's a whole story about it. I won't bore you with that. But it was an evil spirit that was given to this slave girl. And this spirit gave her the ability to engage in fortune telling. Unlike other cases of demon possession, where there are social disruptions with people who are demon possessed, this girl didn't give those, any of those indications. There's no major uh, negative social disruptions, if you will. So in some way, people really thought of having this girl around as, as a benefit. But in Paul's view, this girl was controlled by the powers which God had forbidden strongly. So Paul engages in exorcism. It's a practice, the act of freeing a human being from demonic possession. Now notice what takes place in this exorcism. Um, Paul speaks not to the person. She doesn't speak to her reason. She doesn't speak to her heart. She doesn't even speak to her spirit. Look at verse 18. Paul, having, greatly, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Did you get that? Paul is speaking not to the person, but to the Spirit, because it was the Spirit that controlled her. There's no hope of trying to give this girl a lesson in mannerisms or even a lesson in theology. As long as the Spirit was in her, her mind, her actions, her spirit was controlled by this foreign spirit. 
So that when Paul commands a spirit to come out of her, he does it by claiming the authority of Jesus, this name of Jesus. It's based on his authority, not on Paul's. So putting this in broader perspective, even though this girl was using correct language, she was still enslaved. Friends, you don't need to be demon-possessed to be under this danger today. This danger of using correct language and still be enslaved is not only for people who are demon-possessed. The Bible tells us that it's not just spirits, evil spirits that enslave us, but sin also enslaves us. Our rebellion to God, which Adam and Eve fell into, and thus triggering the whole human race, our rebellion to God is so ingrained in our nature that we are actually, the Bible describes us actually as enslaved to sin. And yet people can use, even today, religious language correctly and still remain in that bondage. Friends, that's why, be discerning. That's why I ask you, when you speak the gospel, when you speak about Christ to people and they seem to be aware and familiar with Christian terms, don't assume too hastily that they are actually have been rescued from the power of sin. Ask them to tell you what it means to them to be rescued from sin. Let them flesh it out. Let them describe it in their own words. So the danger of using correct language with, with different meanings, the possibility of using correct language but still being enslaved, lastly and not least, this major fact, this major truth, that God's salvation through Jesus has nothing to do with the power of darkness. God's salvation through Jesus has nothing to do with the power of darkness. By rejecting assistance from the slave girl, Paul and Philippi show us this incredible fact. He doesn't need the kingdom of darkness to help promote the gospel. The kingdom of darkness, its only agenda is to distort that, to skew it, to come close in associating itself with it and yet switch its meaning, switch its emphasis. Paul would have nothing to do with that, absolutely nothing. Now, had Paul allowed the girl to, um, to, to come along and, and sort of follow them in their team, the people of Philippi could have associated Paul's message of salvation with the powers that were in this person. And they would have made the wrong association altogether. And because of such associations, Paul wants to have nothing to do with it. Christ came to cast out the demons, to cast out the forces of darkness that enslave humanity. How could Paul now receive help from them? Here's the point. Here's the point. We cannot use the ways of the kingdom of darkness to promote the kingdom of light. We cannot, cannot do that. I love what Paul says in Colossians 1:13. God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul says about his own ministry. But we have renounced this graceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning 
or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Friends, why do I bring this up? Because we as a church of Jesus Christ, who has been commissioned and entrusted by Christ to spread the gospel, we must be careful. We must be careful that we don't use methods that seem manipulative, methods that seem or engage in any sort of cunning in any way. Paul could have used the services of this girl to sort of make the word spread in Philippi, but he chose not to. Friends, let us as a church be very clear about how we want to preach the gospel. Be clear about that. We don't need to engage in, in emotional manipulation. We don't need to engage in, in, in simply marketing ways that seem to just draw the crowds alone. That's not the way to do it. We want to commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and do the work of an evangelist clearly using the methods of the kingdom of light. But it's not just a slave girl that needed to be free, friends. It's not just the, the fact that the kingdom of light had nothing to do with the kingdom of darkness that was represented in that slave girl. It's also the owners. How sad that the owners of the slave girl could not see that there was a higher power in Philippi. There was a higher power in the preaching of Paul. There's a higher power than the spirit that was dwelling in this girl. But they didn't see it. Did you ever wonder why? Why couldn't they see? Why couldn't they believe if they knew that this gir the girl had the spirit of divination? Why did they listen to her in paying attention to the words of Paul? You know why? Because they were slaves of money. They loved money more than they loved God. They, when Jesus came between them and their source of income, they took the route of casting out Jesus. They took the route of saying no to Jesus. Friends, you don't need to be possessed by demons to be enslaved. Sin enslaves us. The love of money is enslaving. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God's salvation through Jesus has nothing to do with the power of darkness except to overcome it, except to rescue people from it. I wonder to which kingdom you belong this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you. We praise you for the reminder that you give us that indeed, as we share the gospel, there might be people around us who might use correct language, but different meanings. There might be people around us who might use correct religious language, but still be enslaved. Father, thank you for reminding us that the kingdom of light has nothing to do with the kingdom of darkness. Lord, teach us as a congregation to engage in spreading the gospel by using the methods and power of the kingdom of light and trusting in that power and using the name of Jesus and relying on the name of Jesus so that your kingdom may spread, so that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. O oh Lord, to, we, to you we pray and ask for your spirit to come upon us in fresh ways. Amen.
As we join together to sing, let's consider uh, what we've heard this morning. Let's consider this table and Christ's sacrifice. Let's consider God's power and mercy as he's freed us from the slavery of sin. And as we consider all of these things, I pray that, um, that our hearts would rise up in joy and praise as we sing. Please join me in singing joyfully to our Lord. <laughs> 